Today's reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took her as his wife. But he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. Again, for those of you who were out of town last week, for those of you visiting for the first time today, and for our members and even our guests who uh, belong to churches that didn't mark the seasons according to uh, the church year, uh, I want to remind you that we are in this beautiful, wonderful season called Advent, where we are very intentional these weeks before Christmas in our meditation and in our preparation, and that's more than just the putting out of lights and the hanging of greens. It's the preparation that is soulful as we think and pray, preparing our hearts and our homes for the true meaning of Christmas, the true joy of the gift of the Savior. That word Advent has uh, many meanings. One meaning of the word is arrival, and certainly we think back through time to the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah the anointed one, the Christos, the Savior promised to the people of Israel. And we rejoice in the Word made flesh, the babe of Bethlehem. Advent also means appearance, and certainly Jesus appeared to those shepherds and those wise men to the world when he grew into adulthood years ago. But Jesus has promised to appear again. So for us, Advent is not just preparing for a holiday, a holy day, we do prepare for the joy of Christmas morn, but we are reminded to prepare for the second coming of Christ, who has assured us that now having ascended to the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So our preparations, our thinking of his appearance, it's really bifocal, remembering that first coming and the promised second coming of the Lord. You and I live in that in-between time. Our meditation last week if you missed it, was on Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of our Lord, from whom we have much to learn, women and men alike. If for some reason you missed the sermon, you were out of town with loved ones, we have that posted as an audio file on our church website. You can listen to it. You can even share it as a link with people that you think might be blessed by uh, the words that were spoken here. Mary, we learned from God's word. Um, was a bit perplexed and concerned about this greeting from the angel Gabriel. But then she was willing to be the handmaiden of the Lord. She was willing to serve God according to his plan, not knowing everything, but knowing enough 
There's no way she could have known everything that would happen to her son in the coming 30 plus years. But she knew enough at that moment to say, Lord, use me. Here I am. I want to be part of this great thing you're doing. Now we shift our meditation, our attention to Joseph and his first reaction to the news. And that marvelous dream in which God sent an angel to comfort and reassure Joseph. And we're told that he was afraid. (laughs) Because the angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Take Mary. Even though she's pregnant. Even though you know the child in her belly is not your own. Uh, The word of God is so honest and true and forthright Uh, Joseph wouldn't have been the first man to plan to end an engagement when his fiancée was found to be with child and knew it wasn't his own. But being an honorable man, he sought to do this quietly, discreetly, not to bring additional shame to Mary. But having learned the greater plan and what God was up to, Joseph changes his mind. In fact, he has a complete change of heart. And you've heard it said before, uh, the longest distance isn't from here to the moon or the far reaches of the universe. Sometimes the greatest distance is from the head to the heart. So Joseph heard in the dream what God was doing, and then God melted his heart. And Joseph was willing to be, like Mary, a servant of God's perfect plan of salvation. As both men and women, young and old, I think we can learn from what Joseph sets before us as an example. In Joseph, we see obedience, we see trust, we see a man of worship, and we see stewardship in a very beautiful and important way. Let's start with obedience. Uh, We know, you and I, that this side of heaven, it's really important to have a plan, some sense of order to our days. Uh, We have our plans for what we're going to do this week, Later this month, in the new year, uh, many of us are in vocations right now that we planned for in our formative years of high school, college, and grad school. It's not a bad thing to be people who prepare and plan for tomorrow. God is certainly a God who has plans. And for Christians, it's imperative for us to know that our plans are always secondary to God's primary plans. And that whatever we plan, great or small, needs to be in alignment with God's lordship. Because his plans and purposes are always greater. I want you to think back to Joseph. I want you to imagine the gossiping that might have been going on. Because I know some of you are from small towns where people did whisper and talk under their breath about that young girl who's pregnant out of wedlock. Imagine the gossiping. In Nazareth. Hey Joseph, looks like you couldn't wait, huh? What's that, Joe? You're not the father? Oh, Mary got pregnant from God? Yeah, right. Imagine the tongue wagging. Imagine how people were talking behind Mary's back. And then I want you to think through your sanctified imagination about Joseph's realization of what was going to happen once this dream and the news from the angel had a chance to settle in. Whatever his plans were, they now had to change. 
they now had to conform to God's greater plans. You know, it's easy to understand that his plans were probably simple plans of a hard-working man, Mary, his sweetheart. And in those days, you know, um, men like Joseph, a carpenter, uh, often hoped for a son. I know that today women can become outstanding electricians and plumbers and carpenters, but in those days, um, daughters were not to do those things. It was a different era. So he probably hoped for a son to teach him the family trade so that someday perhaps that son and maybe some brothers of his might take over the business, the carpentry shop, that perhaps he and Mary could retire and catch some rays on the Galilean Sea. But really, they didn't catch rays back then. They didn't have time for such nonsense. But whatever his plans may have been, however simple, however personal, it all changed. Because Joseph chose obedience to God. He was responsible for Mary and responsible for the child in her womb, to be sure. But now he realizes he's also responsible to God. You and I, with busy lives and so much on our plates, are responsible for many things. And some of us sometimes feel overwhelmed by the number of people for which we are responsible. But we must always remember, especially when we feel tired or weary or overwhelmed, that we are responsible to a God who is a God of help, a God of mercy, a God of grace, in whom we find our strength when we feel our weakest. So if you are married, I want to ask you a question this Advent season of preparation and anticipation. When was the last time you actually prayed aloud with your wife beyond come Lord Jesus be our guest at table? Women, when was the last time you actually prayed aloud for your husband that somehow the two of you in your marriage might be obedient to the Lordship of Christ in your home and over your relationship? I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, a two-volume book set uh, was a blessing to Kirsten, my wife, and me years ago. Uh, one is called The Power of a Praying Husband, that's for the guys, and The Power of a Praying Wife, that's for the gals. And when I first saw the title, I thought, yay, I'm going to learn in this book how to pray so powerfully that God will finally change all those things in Kirsten that need to be changed. And, you know, and she probably thought the same thing. But actually what the books are about is how prayer changes you as the person. How maybe you give up some of your agenda and you start asking God to use you according to his plans and purposes to become the kind of husband you should be, the kind of wife you might be. So I know some of you are looking for the perfect holiday gift. Maybe you should go to Amazon and check it out by Stormy Omartin and her husband, Power of a Praying Wife, Power of a Praying Husband. And even if you're single, that might be the perfect gift for a married couple in your family or your extended um, friendships. And if you are single, I think you can learn from Joseph as well because you certainly have your hopes and your dreams and your plans. And as you single people, think about your future, where you hope to be, where you plan to be a year, three, five years from now. 
You need to remember the God who loves you and watches over you and cares for you, yes, even more than your own earthly parents. The same God, the Word made flesh, that was willing to die for you that you might live and live abundantly. And the choices you make and the things you decide, you, like all of us, are equally responsible to the Lord to bring glory to His name and to seek alignment with kingdom principles. And that leads us to this measure of trust that we see in Joseph. We have a lot of very talented, gifted, highly educated people in this congregation. Uh, Years ago, when I finally earned my doctorate, one of our members, an engineer, said in the centrum, don't expect any of us to be impressed. You know, in Albuquerque, doctorates are a dime a dozen. I get it. I, I get that. I'm in awe of what some of you do, um, the level of expertise you bring to your vocation, and those of you who are in charge of um, millions of dollars of budget money, and you supervise hundreds, if not thousands, of people. I know that many of you are in charge. I know that many of you really like being in charge. I love being in charge when you let me. And I know that many men can't handle not being a charge. And there's women in this congregation who like to be in charge as well. And I'm not going to mention any names. You know who you are. But those of us, male or female, who like being in charge, who've been trained to be in charge, we need to remember that God is always in charge and He is sovereign. And we are called to trust in Him and entrust ourselves and our vocations our futures to his lordship. I want you to think again on Joseph, the thoughts that must have been racing through his head. Okay, so Mary's going to have a boy, but he ain't going to be mine. Savior of the world. Oh, really? Why me? Why not someone else? I wanted to be in charge of this carpentry shop. That was enough. I'm a simple man. There must have been some incredulity, some disbelief, But God reveals the plan, and Joseph finds the courage to trust. I know that trust is not an easy thing for many men and women. I know from my childhood, I was taught at an early age to be suspicious of other people. Don't trust everyone. Take care of yourself Don't be dependent on another. Be self-sufficient. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But too often the way that many of us men were raised excludes an awareness of God's lordship over our lives and a healthy sense of reliance on what the Lord provides. And I know that there's many women who have trust issues. You've been hurt. You've been betrayed. You don't want to trust another person again. But God calls us to trust Him knowing that He loves us, truly loves us. Maybe the most important Advent prayer you might offer these weeks before Christmas is asking God to increase your ability to trust in His loving Lordship. You know, when you're facing a difficult task or a challenging situation, do you do what I often do? I'm guilty. 
sometimes I act as if everything depends on me and my expertise and my credentials and my learning and my uh, strength and my wisdom. And then I only turn to the Lord when all those skill sets of mine are lacking and you become desperate. That's not how Christians pray. That's not how Christians trust. I've seen far too many young doctors in hospitals from here to Rio Rancho say in the room of a dying patient as he looks to me, well, pastor, I guess all we can do now is pray. And I'm old enough now to say most of those doctors are young enough to be my sons, these doogie housers. (laughs) And I remind them that prayer is not what Christians do in an act of desperation when worldly medicine and treatment fails us, prayer is what we do from the start, even asking God to use physicians and surgeons and nurses and all kinds of specialists to bring about His healing love and His gracious presence. But let's be people of prayer because prayer is a demonstration of our trust in a God of love. Worship. You're here this morning because you came to a house of worship. There are many secondary, tertiary things that happen. Hopefully, if you like coffee, you get a good cup in Fellowship Hall. There's fellowshipping. There's sharing of information. There's mutual care. But first and foremost, on the Lord's Day, we remember the Sabbath to honor the God of Sabbath rest, to worship the Lord of the heavens and the earth. We're here to worship. And we learn in the scriptures that Jesus was a worshiper. In Luke 4, verse 16, Jesus went to the synagogue when he was back in Nazareth, as was his custom. It was customary. It was not a unique thing for Jesus to go to a synagogue or a temple. The Gospels are replete with Jesus going to teach and be present in synagogue worship. How did this come to be his custom? No doubt by the way in which he was raised, his upbringing. Joseph and Mary were faithful, devout Jews. They worshipped in synagogue. Jesus, no doubt, grew up honoring the Lord's Day. As we think on Joseph, I want to remind you men that you are called to be an example of worship, acknowledging the Lordship of God in your life, in your home, in your workplaces, to be sure, but certainly on the Lord's Day. We are encouraged and be an example one to another of what it means to kneel before the altar of God and acknowledge that He is sovereign. And the same is true for all of you, my sisters in Christ. Worship is not something we decide to do. Worship is who we are. We were designed. It is in our nature. It's in our spiritual DNA to acknowledge the Creator, to praise the Savior, to ask for the Holy Spirit to be at work among us. When was the last time any of you talked to a brother or sister, a fellow church member who's been absent for a while, or even someone you know at work, at school, in your neighborhood, who doesn't yet know Christ, to experience worship with us? You know, something happens in worship that's far greater than the order of worship printed in our bulletin, the list of volunteers who graciously have stepped forward to serve. We make our plans for worship. It can't happen in a congregation our size without forethought and some measure of order. But Jesus said, where two or more show up, there I'm going to be present. And when Jesus shows up, God does things that are far beyond our order of worship, our liturgy. He is in our midst. He is living. He is God. And He is merciful. And then there's this matter of stewardship. 
Early on in my training to be a pastor, I was taught by a, I was taught by a professor who was rather crotchety and kind of crude. Um, he was Norwegian. <laughs> um, raised on a farm in North Dakota. And he said, you know, when you boys go out there and become young pastors, uh, you're going to get all kinds of flashy materials from headquarters in Minneapolis about stewardship. And, you know, those folks in Minneapolis think if it's fancy enough and flashy enough, it'll convince some of your church members to part with a little bit more of their money each year. He goes, but you remember that stewardship, uh, it ain't fancy. A steward is the ward of the sty. He takes care of the pigs for the hog farmer. The hogs aren't his. They belong to the farmer. The steward just gets to watch over them and make sure that they're well cared for. And that's what stewardship is. We care for everything entrusted to us from God, for it all belongs to him, including our money, our wealth, our time, our talent, to be sure, including the children and the grandchildren, the nieces and the nephews, with which God enriches our journey on earth. Joseph was not in charge of Jesus' ultimate life and destiny. That was God's doing. The same was true for Mary. But they had this role to play, a vital job to do, and they did it faithfully, to love Jesus, to care for Jesus, to train him up in worship at synagogue. But then they had to let him go. Is it not the same for any parent? As Jesus, the adult, emerges in our Gospels, you don't hear too much about Joseph anymore. His name kind of fades. His role had been fulfilled. His adopted son had a mission to carry out. And Joseph could not protect his son, his adopted son, from the cross and the future that awaited him. We parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, we want to protect and care for the children in our life, but we can't keep them in bubbles. Our job is to raise them in faith, and then we have to let them go and entrust them to the Father's care and keeping. And I know from experience that's not easy. But we have this role of stewardship to do while we can. When was the last time you talked to any child or grandchild, niece or nephew, about the things of Christ and his kingdom I think that Christmas gives you the perfect opportunity to speak of Christ because it's the Christ Mass, the worship of Christ that we do every December 24th and this year on the 25th on a Sunday morning. They're out of school. They're home from college. They've got the time. You can speak to them in person. You can call them on the phone. As stewards, it ain't fancy. We care for the little ones entrusted to our love for a short while. And I believe that as believers, it means telling them what God's love means to us. Why in a world of so much doubt, so much hatred, so much division, so much cynicism, there is still a reason to choose Christ to be a Christian. All in response to God's choice to be sure. But why do you choose to be a Christian? I think our children and grandchildren need to hear that why we choose to be like Joseph obedient trusting and to worship just like you are now 
in a world that so often belittles and even mocks such holy things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.